Hi, I'm Kelly, and this is the DC Comics News Podcast. I'm here with Joe, Seth, and Steve. Hello. Hello. And, Hello. Um, <laughs> and um, we're covering a couple of different topics today, some serious ones to start off with, but um, also some good news about the Shazam release and what's happening next there. Um, so to dive right in, as we're starting with uh, Allison Mack and her kind of recent debacle. So, Joe, do you want to start? Yeah. Um, so, Allison Mack, I saw she uh, she pled guilty to truly one of the most bizarre stories I've ever c- come across, um, not just for comics, but just news period. I guess she pled guilty to uh, a couple of different charges regarding her involvement with a sex cult case. Um just absolutely bizarre uh she had originally pled uh guilty or she was going to plead guilty or not guilty i should say and then she got a plea bargain and so now she's uh you know cooperating fully and it appears as though she's uh, willing to testify uh against some of the other people involved mainly their the cult leader but uh yeah just an absolutely bizarre case um I guess, I guess for me moving forward, I'm just kind of wondering uh, how will this story affect people's enjoyment of Smallville uh, moving forward? Kind of, you know, it's, it's basically becomes an elephant in the room. Uh, as if you know, if you watch that show today, um, but Seth, uh, what, what do you think about this madness? Well, yes, I can only echo the word madness to begin my attempt to describe any sort of um, understanding or attempt to understand what's going on. I mean, I can look at the, the law side of this, the, the simple, you know, assessment of why would she take a deal, which to me, you know, they spell out pretty clearly. She's, well, <laughs> she's facing charges that she originally pled not guilty to, a total of which was going to be 15 years to life in prison if mm. convicted. which is just really something serious to think about. So the fact that at some point when she was originally, uh, you know, indicted for this in April of 2018, so almost a year has gone by when she said not guilty, something has come forward where either enough information is available that she knows they've got an ironclad case or simply the threat of, even if it's not life, I mean, even if you're talking like 30 or 40 years, hard time, this is, this is something pretty heavy and it's something worth considering, you know, hey, if I can take responsibility and also lessen, you know, just how bad this could be for me instead of fighting it tooth and nail, then maybe I have a chance of coming out of this and, and actually being able to live a life if if I finish, you know, my sentence, whatever it ends up being, with any sort of understanding, you know, that this can't be what I go right back into. And also this kind of idea of um hopefully having learned some sort of way to give back redeem or find a way forward when all of that's said and done but i think the reality of it must have just set in at some point because the description afterwards about the pyramid scheme about the recruitment about the way that she coerced at least two people into a relationship with the guy who was running it and also was financially compensated for it i mean these are some pretty ugly stories. And mm. if they're really stretched out through a court case by somebody who's a prosecutor and knows what, what they're doing, 
I mean, it, it could damage her personally on top of just what it can do to her final sentencing. So all of those things really come to mind. And it's just such an amazing thing to try and wrap my head around that that's really as far as I've gotten with it. But Steve, I can only imagine you've got your own thoughts to share as well. It's mind boggling. It's always the quiet ones, isn't it? I mean, mm. it's, it's crazy. Uh, she was honestly oh, well said. my favorite character on Smallville. I absolutely loved her. And this is just like you said, Seth, it's, it's mind boggling. You can't wrap your head around any human being doing this, let alone someone who came across as so sweet, so innocent, so lovable. And it's a horrible thing she's done. And if she's, changing her plea because there's some sort of uh, way that she can catch someone else who's higher up the chain and worse than she was, then fair enough. But that doesn't excuse her of, of what she did herself. So it's a sad, sad day, really. Um, that, that, that's all I can say. I'm dumbfounded. Yeah. Yeah, that's I, – I mean – yeah, I, I, how how someone would even get themselves wrapped up in this kind of thing, and then to the extent that she is clearly in a lot of trouble if her plea changed and she was looking Ooh. at 15 to life, that's like, I don't know, that's, that's insane. But, I mean, it's not the first Hollywood cult we've ever heard of, which is also terrifying, but, you know, it kind of makes you wonder <laughs> what else is out there. Yeah. You know, that, that just, just to touch on that a little bit uh you know she did mention how you know she was dealing with a lot of uh just a lot of personal issues mental issues with regards to her career and and uh, you know i i grew up a couple miles from from you know from hollywood and i mean it's a tough place um you're surrounded by a lot of glitz and glamour but then there's also a lot of you know people out on the street that are struggling uh you know with uh, all kinds of issues um so, you know, the idea of like, you know, I can totally see, you know, really anybody that, you know, comes out to Hollywood and be trying to become an actor and then just things don't work out the way they wanted it to. And then all of a sudden, you know, they get caught up with, you know, someone that's kind of, you know, promising the world to them, um, and, you know, and I think uh, it, it's it's scary. It's It, it really is. But it's also a, um, a cautionary tale, I, I should say. Um, for those for those that are you know just to you know just to keep their eyes open and you know watch out for these sorts of things and you know just because again you know you there's a lot of people out there that are looking to exploit others for their own benefit and you know it's a shame but that's the way it is yeah yeah yeah, yeah. hard hard not to also just think about the fact that like you said you know while it might be glitz and glamour when they're on the screen you know, there was probably a price paid for them to get on that screen and to stay on that screen. And I'm sure it isn't cheap to maintain whatever it is that you need to maintain in order to be that kind of professional. And then if there isn't steady work to help supply it, you know, at some point you're investing in something that if it doesn't pay out, uh, you have to find a way to make money. And when things are tight, someone's offering a deal that looks too good to be true. I'm sure it can be pretty easy to start with just a simple, well, this doesn't sound like it's that bad and have it grow into something that's apparently yeah. much bigger than she either realized or uh, something else was going on. But yeah, Joe, I, I do appreciate that you point out that anyone who has any experience with the uh, the rea real life sort of environment that exists within Hollywood between filmings and shows and movies, I mean, 
think about some of these characters that we love who have made a recent reemergence onto the screen. What were they doing all that time? How were they making money if they weren't actually, you know, doing the craft, which is acting? They have to find a way to live, and not all of them have trades or skills or resources when they aren't on screen to support themselves, and that can make things pretty dicey. So I think that's a valuable point to add as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I, I mean, yeah, I don't know. That's that's the next. I'd say the next year or so is definitely going to be interesting watching what happens next with her. Um, and then also kind of related. To Hollywood, uh, the next with apparently the Trump 2020 campaign used the Dark Knight score in um, a, an upcoming promotional video where they didn't use it, but somebody attached it and Trump shared it. Um, you know, so, so Joe, what are your thoughts? Um, <laughs> so I think uh, to clarify, uh, this was a, something that was uh, like an ad that was created by uh an unknown user, um, but apparently uh, tr- the Trump Twitter account or his campaign uh, account uh, re-uploaded it. And, you know, if, if for those that don't really follow like kind of uh, a lot of the politics going on, but um, Warner Brothers is owned by Time Warner, which just had a deal that merged with AT&T. And, you know, that deal finally went through after objections from, you know, the Department of Justice, the DOJ, which was directed by Trump to uh, kind of try to stop this deal um, in large part for Trump because, you know, the Time Warner owns CNN and, you know, Trump has his issues with CNN and all that. So it, it, there's kind of a little bit of pettiness going on there in terms of, you know, going after somebody in like the most innocuous way. Uh but, you know, obviously, you know, Warner Brothers, they're going to fight back. And so when they see Trump using uh, their intellectual property or it appears as uh, he was using it um, or retweeting it, I should say, you know, they're going to go after them. And, you know, you, as you guys probably well known, it's just a kind of state that our politics are in at the moment. The, uh, the pettiness <laughs> is just running rampant on, you know, on all, all over the place. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's kind of. Um, yeah, to me, it's just uh, it's a little bit of petting. It's just going on back and forth. You can totally understand why WB would go after Trump, especially after, you know, having to go to court with, you know, with this case and this merger. So, yeah, any chance they have to go back at him and it, it's it'll just go on back and forth. Uh, but yeah, uh, Seth, what do, what do you think about this? This, you know, this story? Well, the first thing that I have to respond to is petty. Yes, mm. completely and utterly petty such as one would expect from someone who's being petulant. And because of that, I can only say, wow, there's, there's a moment <laughs> when we teach those who, and I was lucky enough to have a role sometimes working with uh, students and those who are younger. And there's an opportunity almost in every setting to point to where it's necessary to take responsibility whether it's for whether or not your own work didn't produce the grade you wanted or something else like that. And for me, this points out yet another example of politics not taking responsibility, politicians not yeah. taking responsibility for their, this, this idea to exist and then to be furthered by others not stepping up and saying, you know what, there's a right way and a wrong way. And this is a moment when it's so clear that we should just be able to say that. 
But instead, because it's more of a thumb in the eye of someone who there's a personal or whatever disagreement, as has been pointed out, a direction of political resources towards uh, a business merger that then is won through. And then afterwards, the slight is, oh, well, you can win, but we're going to use your material, not compensate you, and then also not address your concerns when we irresponsibly and illegally use your material, even though we're also a governing body who should know better and who should also speak up when we do know better. Um, and when that doesn't happen, then pettiness and petulance are allowed to sort of fester. And that's that's exactly what I think is happening right here. And it's disappointing because I also know that as any good comic book fan has come to understand, whether it's in the books or the movies, real heroes stand up. Real heroes say, this is wrong and I'm going to correct it because I have the power to do so. And just like, you know, the old phrase says, bad things, evil exists and persists when good people do nothing or when people simply don't do the good thing they know to do. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go ahead and climb off a soapbox because I know you <laughs> has something to add. First of all, I just have to ask, um, is anyone on this call uh, a Trump supporter? No. Nope. Yeah. Okay, I just had to ask him because I know we're all crazy, but no one's that crazy. <laughs> um, I, I, I literally, this man, um, I, I wouldn't trust him to run a bath unsupervised, let alone a country. Uh, so, <laughs> at, at the end of the day, all I can say is, as in all great comics, you mess with Batman, Batman wins. That's all I have to say. That is, yeah, <laughs> that's the best way to. to sum that up because it just and that and the the hbo um also in the same article that he or someone apparently attached like an hbo the the kind of logo font style that they use for game of thrones um it just that's ridiculous and I, i get that his legal team probably has a lot of other stuff on their plate but at the same time if if this is you know, our, our governing body, you would expect that it wouldn't be as sloppy to realize, hey, maybe we shouldn't, you know, attach something that we don't own. But I, you know, <laughs> <laughs> whatever. I'm sure they've got other... He's the president. <laughs> he owns everything in his mind. Uh, apparently, yeah. <laughs> Literally everything. <laughs> but, um, you know, so anyway, moving, moving right along again, we have... Um, you know, some older footage from a version of Watchmen that we could have seen. Um, and you know what? I actually forgot that Zack Snyder was responsible for Watchmen. This reminded me, and that is... or I'm sorry, not the book, the movie, Watchmen. He was responsible for the movie that came out in, I believe, 2009. But, um, you know, some, some footage from another version that we might have seen was released recently. Um, Joe, what thoughts do you have on that? Um... So I, I can't say I watched the full video. It's about a, it's kind of like a half hour video and just kind of the the, the background and all that. I did watch the actual uh, test footage and uh, I I found it, it's, you, you you can tell it's a product of its time, if, if that makes any sense. Um, and, you know, it does say, you know, this is very rough footage. This isn't final by any means. There's a couple of test shots of, of Dr. Manhattan um you know you have uh what's what's the actress name uh ian glenn who 
you know, I'm sure we're going to be talking about later on. Um, he's playing Night Owl. And he's then, bad. Uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, you have, what's his name? Patty Considine is uh, Rorschach. Um, so, you, you know, again, like I said, it's very rough footage, so I don't want to be too judgmental about it. Uh, you know, I do have to say, though, I, you know, after uh, after seeing the movie, the, the Snyder movie, I... I the idea of, of this actor, Patty Considine as Rorschach, it just I, I I just don't buy it. Like I don't think he would have been uh, that great of Rorschach. He doesn't have he doesn't have that that growl that I've kind of always associated with with Rorschach's voice. Even before the movie came out, when I used to read the comics, he just always sounded to me like uh, you know he had this growly uh, dark voice. Um, and and again, Ian Glenn, uh, a much younger Ian Glenn, um, playing Night Owl, um, he kind of looks the part. Um, it, but again, I just it, it it very much felt like a uh, a, a pre MCU, uh, I guess, you know, type of filmmaking and the tone uh, to it. But again, I, I don't want to be too harsh. Uh, you know, because again, it was test footage. But uh, Seth, like, what, what did you think about this uh, this test footage? Yeah, I made a point, uh, like you did, actually, from the sounds of it, uh, where I didn't really go for the full thirty minute. I started the video and realized that as it was going to be covering a lot of history, that while I would probably enjoy, I really wanted to focus on the segment that we would be talking today. So I, I went ahead and skipped ahead to that. And I did note that it had the notation about, yes, please be aware, this is very little production you know, investment going in right now. It's just a, a simple setup, and it has none of what would eventually be used. And keeping that all in mind, um, I mean, it was interesting watching Ian Glenn portraying uh, Night Owl. I, I was looking at it, and I thought to myself, you know, he's a good Dan. I don't know how he looks in a costume. But everything about his characterism, his mannerisms, his his sort of expression and recognition and everything felt solid. I mean, his performance as an actor, I thought, was spot on. Uh, the Rorschach part, it was harder because, I mean, I, I didn't want to take any of what was being presented um, beyond the face value, knowing that there would be a hopefully greater production value put into the costume and other design. But I did enjoy the concept that they touched on, which was um, how this one featured the introduction of his journal as the narrative device, because I really felt that that was a really nice element that opened this segment up well. And I would have enjoyed seeing that played out more so, you know, in this version, just to see what sort of direction it eventually would have been taking, because that was probably the part that really was the most compelling one, seeing a, a really nice portrayal of Dan and getting curious about what that version could have looked like. Um, two, yes, being aware that it is pre-MCU and it doesn't have an awareness of how that story structure can sort of make these movies, you know, uh, just sing a little bit more and and also have a resonance that that we're you know aware of its power and its its capability but overall there were a lot of elements that that caught my interest and made me think you know if it hadn't been for this Snyder version this could have been what we were watching and from the start i'm intrigued and there was enough there for me to want to keep watching and that's usually what I find the most compelling about, you know, something I've decided to sit down for is, can you keep my attention? And I wanted to keep watching. I just don't know from that short snippet if I can say with any sort of confidence, like, wow, it would have been amazing or, 
or it would have sucked because <laughs> it was <laughs> such a short segment and it was only that moment. But as far as the acting and as far as the setup and story, there were a lot of elements that I really enjoyed and I thought it would have made for a, a good version because I personally feel like Watchmen's one of those great movies where I can't wait to be 20 years from now talking about versions three and four because I feel like everyone should take a good shot at it if they think they can do it differently or if they feel they can present it in a way that builds upon what Snyder did or or maybe even a reference to this version that we've just seen a snippet of now. But I think others have a viewpoint to add. And Steve, I know that you're a fan of Mr. Snyder's work, so I'm really curious about your thoughts. Uh, and also a fan of Watchmen. I mean, er everything you just said, I, I agree with 100%. Um, while Rorschach wasn't uh -huh. quite as convincing, I do love what Ian Glenn did as Dan Dryberg. I, I did enjoy his Night Owl. And like you said, I, I was actually thinking, oh, I'd like to see more of this. And, and the fact that they literally lifted the dialogue straight out of the graphic novel, it was verbatim that whole conversation and the whole bit with Rorschach's journal at the beginning. I am the biggest Watchmen mark on the planet. I read that book annually. I read that book every single year. <laughs> um, so, yeah, fascinating. So that's why I'm, I'm so looking forward to the extended TV version that we're going to be getting soon. Um, I love yes. Zack Snyder's movie, but having uh, even a three-hour film of that 12-issue novel, because it, it, it's a novel, um, wasn't quite enough for me. Um, he did a brilliant job with, with, with what he had, but seeing it fleshed out over a season or two or three or four or however many they want to make um, has got me excited. But no, uh, that test footage was was fascinating. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree that I enjoyed. Um, well, you know what? The, the Snyder version was really stylized, but didn't follow the book as as verbatim as what we just saw in that clip. I did think that Rorschach sounded a little bit soap opera-y, which could just be, you know, if it is that rough of a cut, but it, it yeah, was it, very, like, <laughs> the way he said human bean juice sounded just a little bit comical. Like, it just yeah, that, 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 that's why I couldn't, you know, I, I just remember the almost Adam West-like, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I just remembered the actress named Jackie Earl Haley, who played Rorschach. I, I lo love this performance in the Snyder film. Yeah, yeah, he he was perfect. He was spot on. And I mean, I I was very in between with the Snyder film because I I enjoyed I think everything up to about maybe when uh Night Owl and Silk Spectre are breaking Rush out of prison and around there I kind of started getting a little bit like all right, this, the, there were some things that just didn't seem as uh I feel like they they spent time on things that they could have spent time with more of the material from the actual novel. But, um, Agreed. You know, it's uh, this, uh, and again, it's a rough cut, but it looked a little bit less stylized, and I'd be interested in seeing what that, um, you know, because Watchmen is so, it's supposed to be such a realistic take on superheroes, almost what that would look like if it was just very cut and dry, you know, ordinary people doing ordinary things, and it's not that kind of, you know, heavily edited. But... Right. Yeah, yeah, hold on. Before we move on, if I can just jump in for a moment. Um, you know, I, I do find it interesting that this footage kind of emerges during the week of, of and again, we're going to talk about it later on. But, you know, Ian Glenn um, 
you know, being cast as, as Batman. And I, I think it's kind of, mm-hmm. it's kind of around, I guess, what's the um, serendipitous? Would that be? I don't know if that's the correct term or not, but the idea of like Ian Glenn as Night Owl and Night Owl is based so, you know, heavily on, on the bat, the Batman uh, uh, crime fighter archetype. Um, so kind of seeing Ian Glenn as Night Owl maybe is in a way preparing us for England as Batman. I mean, who knows? <laughs> I definitely okay. would say it's fortuitous, if not serendipitous. Certainly ah. fortuitous. <laughs> yes, thank you. Thank you for that. I wasn't sure. <laughs> I'd say synchronicity, but there you go. Oh, mm. A lot of vocab words. Nice. nice. <laughs> These <laughs> clever <laughs> peoples with large brains. We're here oh. to teach, folks. We're here to teach. And play. Well, I'm a teacher, so like there you go. Uh, oh, there it is. Very nice. <laughs> um, so, you know, and then actually also... Um, Game of Thrones comes out tomorrow, so the new season. So that also kind of fits directly to mm. all of yeah. that. Yep. <laughs> so I, it might just be a good week for him. I don't know. <laughs> but um, so we also have good news about Shazam, which uh, for starters got over 56 million at the box office last weekend. Um, and then I know the producer and the director both signed on again for a sequel. And now so has the writer, Henry Gaiden. Um, so what, what do you think, Joe? Um, I think it's great, but to be honest with you, and I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of, uh, you know, flack for this, but I have not seen Shazam yet. Uh, I'm going to go watch it tomorrow. So I can't speak. I know, I know. You're not alone. I know. I haven't seen it either. Yeah, it's been a crazy (laughs) couple weeks recently for me. Um, it's hard trying to find the time to go to the, uh, to go to the theater, but, um, I am planning on watching it soon. Um, but again, by all accounts, it seems as though it's great, uh, having the writer. I mean, it just seems just, even just by the trailer, you can just tell that, you know, it's, it's well-written. The dialogue's really funny. Um, so again, I think, I think it's great. I think it's also an indication of kind of Warner brothers, uh, just immediately, you know, if you make a movie for Warner brothers, if you're a director, if you're the writer and you do a good job, you get to stay on you're going to be put in the sequel, um, which is very different from, like, for example, if you guys remember the whole back and forth with Patty Jenkins. Patty Jenkins directed Wonder Woman. She did an amazing job. And so it was kind of like, well, why did it take so long for them to sign her up for the sequel? Um, because there was a lot of back and forth there. I think uh, the studio execs back then were still rather hesitant to put people in charge, kind of give them the full reins and controls of these properties. So... But it seems like, you know, they're kind of they've changed their strategy here. And again, I, I'm excited, you know, just keep on uh, same writer, same director. You know, if they do a good job, keep them. You know, it's it's not rocket science. But uh, Seth, what do you think? I have to agree. I mean, whatever their hesitations were regarding Patty G. Jenkins, they've learned from whatever mistakes might have uh, created that sort of back and forth instead of just coming to a concrete decision and locking in a good thing when you've got it. I mean, there's a, there's a rhythm, there's a, as Steve mentioned earlier, synchronicity and um, a, a coordination of talent that can occur when you've got the right team up. And Mm -hmm. as comic book fans, we all know this because we see it when our favorite writers and artists get the chance to just play and when they do it on the page, we're just sort of like amazed and going, oh, they did it again. It's so amazing and beautiful. I, oh, my goodness. You know, I love when these guys get together. 
you know, I love it when there's a team up like this. And then we're the same way when it comes to our favorite superheroes. I love it when they, you know, put these guys together because it's just so much fun. Well, I saw Shazam. In fact, that was the one thing that dragged me off the sick couch back on Monday. And it was the perfect medicine. I laughed. I loved watching my wife laugh next to me. I loved that there was uh, it, it was a perfect package in a lot of ways. They, you know, without giving away any spoilers for anyone who I'm having this conversation with, but anyone listening, they they drive home this early sort of desire and that sense of what it's like to be lost. If you've ever felt lost as a child, unable to find your parents, but if it continued on and, and what that sort of, you know, sets up for this heartfelt story about, you know, so much about family, about responsibility, which is so easy to tie back to other political story, because this is really an example of someone who at first doesn't understand responsibility, but willing for the right reasons to, to take it on and to take on the challenges of it. And that sort of storytelling, when matched with creative talents in the directing and producing and all the other details you want as many of those guys back together i mean i'm from you know i'm from oakland california we love our golden state warriors basketball team and they're a great team and they've won championships and they've got this amazing chemistry and the first thing after they won was everyone said don't screw up don't separate them don't blow this because what you have sometimes it's like magic in a bottle it's only going to last a little while and i think warner brothers recognition of that with this great team is something that they might not have been paying as much attention to earlier with wonder woman but they're certainly paying attention to now and with the hit that they've got they they really really should um steve what do you think oh absolutely if you've got a winning team let them do their job let them run with the ball let them score like we've seen it a thousand times where you got the right director, the right writer on a movie, and then the next film's handled by somebody completely different and it just goes completely Joel Schumacher or, or, or something like that. And what what you want is clearly they've made Shazam, it's worked. But whenever you make a film, I don't think they put everything into that film that they wanted to put on, either due to length of time, due to um, getting the movie out in time. So any ideas they've got left over from the first film, they can now develop and run with without the burden of having to sell an origin story as well. So if they've got the same team doing Shazam 2, I just think it's going to be bigger and better than the first one. So you've heard me say this a thousand times, let the storytellers tell their story. And they're going to. That makes me happy. I like that. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's, you know, in relation to how long it took them to re-sign Patty Jenkins, I think it seems like they're actually starting to recognize that putting the ball back in the creative team's court and letting them, you know, kind of work and create the structure for the story they want to tell, and it's not that, you know, you have to mimic something or you, it seems like they're actually getting the chance to work creatively, which is, you know, kind of what creative people are supposed to do. So, um, you know, I hope they keep them together. And, you know, also in that vein, we have Dwayne Johnson is still excited about the Black Adam movie. So it's it's been 10 years. I'm hoping that, you know, he's right that we get to see that soon. <laughs> he's, he's such a happy person. My God, it's 10 years and he's still like, woo! So, like um, muscles. 
God, God bless him. He is just so excited about, it seems like, life as a whole. But, um, Joe, Joe, what do you think? You, you know, I watched this video. It's about a five-minute-long video. I, I watched the whole thing, and the thing that I found really interesting, you know, about what uh, The Rock said was the idea of, you know, it was almost right away. I mean, they tried to set up, they were basically trying to tell two origin stories, which is Sazam and Black Adam. And they were trying to kind of pack them in together into one movie. But, you know, The Rock just felt that it just wasn't going to work. And so that's why he said, you know, we needed two separate two movies. You need a Shazam movie. You need a Black Adam movie. And the, what I found interesting is, you know, remember, you know, The Rock, you know, he comes from a WWE background, a wrestling background. And, you know, for those of you out there that, you know, that follow wrestling, it, it's kind of it kind of goes along with the traditional storytelling that takes place during, you know, a lot of these like wrestling storylines. You have the face, which is the good guy, and you have the heel, which is the bad guy. And the best way to set up a a big fight, a pay-per-view style matchup, is to really provide some backstory uh, for both characters. And, you know, and, and, and I think that's kind of what The Rock is, you know, I think that's his approach here. It's like, hey, let's give Shazam his movie so he can build him up. People get to know him, relate to him. You know, people are laughing. And now let's have Black Adam come in and, you know, the way he described it, just beat the crap out of everybody, (laughs) Um, which will set up, you know, ideally, you know, down the road, a a big movie in which, you know, these two finally butt heads. So we're going to have I could imagine seeing a uh, a I guess a a WWE style uh, meetup between these two characters in a future movie um, like pay-per-view style. Um, you know, that's kind of my takeaway from it. But says, so what, what did you think about what The Rock had to say? Well, I think I have to to follow just some of what you were saying, simply because it was so right on the money. I mean, yes, there there has to be a, a buildup in the narrative. It's not like you have a pay per view event and you just throw everybody in there and say, here, watch what happens. Mm-hmm. There's usually this sort of an introduction for. Why are these two fighting? Why do they even have to go up against each other? I mean, can't we all just, you know, have fun and just jump <laughs> off ropes and, yeah. and make it cool? So, no, it, it can't because there's no excitement there. There's no friction there. And then there's no investment from the audience on, well, which side are you picking? And are you going with the good guy because he's a quote unquote good guy or a bad guy? Or, you know, whatever the storyline might be. I mean, sometimes, you know, we love it when suddenly a tag team group splits up and now suddenly those two guys are going to go head to head because yeah. it's a great story. Friendships that fall apart. And then you start to hear about just like when the Beatles broke up, like, oh, man, there was all this stuff going on that people didn't talk about in public. But now that they get a chance to not be part of a group, they're just airing it out. Well, the story that we're going to have here, I mean, there's so much to draw from. I mean, one, we're talking about, you know, a great creative team. And I love that you point out this idea that that Dwayne Johnson recognized, which was you can't tell two origin stories in a movie if you're not going to do it well. And if it's not something that's going to be accomplished, then you tell one origin story. You create this character, you make them concrete. And then in the next version, you tell the polar opposite story. But you give it just as much heart, just as much passion, just as much of that same sort of you know attention that you did for the building of the hero so that you have um, that conflict from his opposite that's 
not just I'm the bad guy, but I'm doing something for a reason. I mean, one of the things that I love about Black Adam is so many times he's a man without a country. He's he's without his home and he's separated from that. And yeah, it's because of his choices, but there's a loneliness that goes with that, that not only fans of, you know, Shazam can recognize from the story about Billy Batson as an orphan, but also that so many people can just connect with if you've ever had something valuable and lost it. And I think building that for us in this character and allowing us to make that connection with it is going to help us understand that, you know, in a lot of ways, this is a character that we're going to love sort of trashing things up, but we're also going to feel like maybe he's kind of got a right to it because, you know, he's gotten a bad turn here or there. And if it wasn't for some sort of circumstances, you know, in the version of his story we get to see, this is a, a good guy who just, you know, got pushed too far or took too much or, you know, broke when he or we would have liked him to stay strong. But whatever happened, you know, it it was a difficult thing. It's not like he just, you know, woke up one day and said, I'm just going to be the meanest, biggest, baddest thing ever. But, you know, I know that that's my take. Steve, I can only imagine you've got a little something to add. If you smell what Joe and Seth are cooking. (laughs) (laughs) Tell you what. Yeah. The pair of you said it all. Um, It's it's like you said, they are polar opposites, but they share the same power set. They come from the same source of of their their magic. They're both... um, disciples or followers of, of Shazam and like I said with the creative team continuing the Shazam story and possibly being the ones behind the Black Adam story that in itself is like its own little mini DC universe starting from the beginning of fresh so I'm really excited I mean when I heard Rock was cast as Black Adam I can't believe it was 10 years ago uh, <laughs> I, I was happy then so this just makes me e- e- even more happy. And uh, yeah, he's going to lay the smacketh down on all their candy asses. And I'm really. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome, Steve. <laughs> I try. Yeah, no, I um, And actually, going back to what was said earlier about you know, the importance of responsibility and looking at it kind of as either a hero or a villain, I like the idea that having the Black Adam you know, origin story altogether as its solo film film will still emphasize, you know, his humanity while looking at, you know, what did he do with his powers versus what did, what did Billy do? And why does that make one of them a hero and one of them kind of, you know, obviously a bit more of a villain? Um, you know, so I'm excited to see what they do with that. Amazing that The Rock managed to stick it out and stay attached even with, I mean, 10 years ago was, was The Dark Knight even out then? Like he, I mean, that's a long time to just kind of hunker down on a project because you believe in it. So that's, I mean, kudos to him for that. Yeah. Um, yeah so the next thing we have, uh, James Gunn is bringing on the Guardians of the Galaxy costume designer for Suicide Squad. Um, yeah, which is interesting because we know he just got signed back to do the third Guardians of the Galaxy. So it looks like he's taken a little bit of his team with him to the DC side. So uh, Joe, what do you think? Again, I think this goes to what we're talking about. When you have the team that's together, uh, just 
let them go out and do their thing. So, you know, for James Gunn, you know, who's worked with uh, Judiana before, um, you know, I'm sure they have a great relationship. They work together. They're comfortable with each other. Um, so, again, like, you just let them let, let them at it. And uh, I'm just excited to see. I mean, again, for James Gunn, just grab everybody. Just <laughs> grab everybody that you can that you want to work with. And then just come in on Suicide Squad and just just rock it. That's that's really is my hope for this. Again, like with Suicide Squad, the fact that James Gunn is attached and he can bring his people in, like that's what I want to see. Um, and I don't have too much to say other than that. But Seth, uh, what else do you got? Yeah, I mean, one, if you know that you've had great success with someone, you know, bring them on to the next project you've got going because why not? I mean, I mean, how is there really that much of a difference between the ragtag group that is the Guardians of the Galaxy and the ragtag group that is Suicide Squad? Allow for the silence and the crickets. And there <laughs> it goes. There isn't any. It's that simple. Like, <laughs> why, why would it be that confusing? And also, why would it not be something you'd want to continue when I've loved all of the ways that the costume design has progressed from the you know, Captain America to Winter Soldier, Civil War, all these great elements that when I've sat down and watched the movies a few times that you can see that there was so much thought. I mean, I even remember hearing a discussion with one of the crew when they were talking about Winter Soldier and they were like, notice how when it starts out, Cap's wearing something more of a militarized sort of shield version of his Captain America. And then mm -hmm. once he decides that he knows there's this infiltration that He's going to put on his colors. He even says, if you're going to go to war, you got to put on a uniform. He goes back to his roots. He goes back to his stars and stripes. So I think there's this real recognition and attention to detail that goes into the costume work that I've already recognized from what it's done in the MCU. And knowing that that's coming over with that same sort of influence and reflection that comes from Guardians of the Galaxy. I mean, you're asking for a very just talented, creative and thoughtful designer to take what they did with Guardians of the Galaxy. And like you said, Joe, just go wild with Suicide Squad and please like give me some of the craziest characters and make them just look fun and cool and just everything I want to see. Because let's be honest, I know you can do it. We all know you can do it. If the only thing holding you back is money, just tell us how much you need and we'll bug the studios and they listen to <laughs> us because we buy tickets. Steve, what do you think? As you say, we mentioned it earlier, teamwork makes the dream work. If this is a winning team for Guardians, mm. let that same team score a touchdown for the Suicide Squad. Absolutely, I'm right behind it. Uh, and it, It's funny because I interviewed... Um, Lindy Hemming on uh, DC Comics News and Dark Knight News. Really? Just after okay. she finished, yeah, just after she finished uh, Wonder Woman. And she obviously, she did the costumes for Chris Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy as well. And she actually broke the news that her next project was this Wonder Woman sequel with Patty Jenkins before DC even announced it. So um, I'm going to start interviewing Cheeky. a lot more. Yeah, I'm going to start interviewing a lot more costume designers because uh, they've got their uh, hands in the director's pockets and uh, and they're giving the directors hugs and they're working together side by side and they're getting work to and from each other. So brilliant. Let it bring it on. They did great work on both the Guardians movies. I'd love to, I'd love to see them on the DC side of the universe. So I'm looking forward to it. 
Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I mean, with the costume designs, I think it definitely goes back to, you know, comics are written as a visual sort of storytelling. So it makes sense that in, you know, it's, it can't just be random, you know, whatever works costuming, there has to be something deliberate behind it. So I'm really excited to see what they do with, with the Suicide Squad going forward. We're just about to move into the um, TV and streaming news. So up first is for Doom Patrol, um, we have Hammerhead cast for um, one of Crazy Jane's personalities. So uh, Joe, what do you think? Um, I I'm, might have to defer on this one just because I'm not too familiar with how it works. I, I watched the show. I, I've seen Doom Patrol. I absolutely love it. And I love Crazy Jane's character. Diane Guerrero is just doing a fantastic job with that. Uh, but I'm kind of curious to know kind of how this is going to work. This uh, Hammerhead is uh, an extension of her. Um, but Seth, do you have any idea of kind of what, you know, kind of what they're planning on doing here? Well, one, I honestly can't say that I know what they're doing. Um, I do know that I'm curious about what more we can sort of see of Hammerhead and the other personalities. Now, there's a possibility I can go into a little more detail, but I'm just well aware of the fact that I'm going to be giving some spoilers for anyone who didn't get a chance to see her in the April 12th episode of Doom Patrol. So, Steve, can you unmute, hop on for a sec here and just let me know, do I have authority to, to speak on this this episode? Are, are we all in agreement here that that's something I can share, or is is that something I should yeah, reserve back on a little bit? tell the listeners that um, spoilers are, are forthcoming, if we just let okay. them know that. Um, <laughs> but uh, obviously, I've got a couple of theories as well, so I'm dying to hear yours, because uh, you Wonderful. always make my okay. brain. Yeah, you guys are going to have to explain, explain this to me how <laughs> all right. it's all going to work out so, here. We're, we're gonna we're gonna speak a little bit here honestly and based on what we've seen folks and if you need to go ahead and fast forward a little bit i promise not to ramble for too long but if you've listened to me sometimes i do um <laughs> really simply <laughs> and with that we all um, like it <laughs> and steve always encourages me never discourages always encourages <laughs> uh, essentially what you're talking about here with the character is that the, the character of Jane has 64 personalities, all of which have a uh, different, complete, separate identity, and all of which have, have a separate set of powers. And in order for them to be witnessed by the viewers of the show, they manifest in Jane. And we see their, their mannerisms and speech and things like that. But generally, until recently, they haven't affected her physical appearance. So you have an idea of what they look like, but they're manifesting through Jane. So you only have Jane's visage while you're seeing them expressing themselves. And there's right. been a few until the most recent episode, which was when the challenge of conflict between Jane and her personalities and also the challenge for Jane of existing in the real world became such a difficulty that she just said, no, I'm not going back up. And there'd been a place referenced in previous episodes called the underground. Now, the underground is essentially the deep, dark recesses of either her mind, her psyche, her being, however you want to view this, um, psychologically or holistically. 
And within the underground exist all of the identities, and they all have a specific reason for existing, and it's based on a childhood trauma that was part of the development of the split inner psyche. Hammerhead is one of those personalities. Hammerhead is the toughest nails. I will beat you with my bare knuckles, and when those are broken, I use my elbows, knees, and teeth. Like, she's just <laughs> mm-hmm. dirty, nasty, and she's kind of the toughie, which in many ways is something that that is familiar when there's been expressions of characters in other mediums who have multiple personalities. There's usually a defender, someone who protects, someone who embodies the sort of anger, revenge, violence, any of those sort of qualities that another part of the psyche or other parts can't address or manifest. And Hammerhead is one of those. And we got a chance to actually see her when Jane goes into the underground. And instead of seeing all these manifestations of her character different identities as we see them just sort of enacted by jane we actually got to see their personas as they see themselves within the underground that was probably a really long-winded explanation if you're worried about missing or hitting spoilers keep fast forwarding i swear i'm almost done so (laughs) that that makes sense again i I hadn't seen the latest episode so i wasn't sure what was going on here but yeah what's that (laughs) no it makes perfect sense Okay, so okay. In a, cra- in a crazy way, it does. <laughs> Thank you. So, yes, essentially, this was a chance to sort of see each one as, well, demonstrated by a different physical actor instead of just demonstrated through uh, the character of Jane as she's portrayed by Miss Carilla. So this was a chance to see, and the actor, uh, Stephanie, whose last name I am not going to butcher, but I would maybe think is Sikowski. Sa- or Shikowski. Um and I haven't seen her in other hey thanks Kel appreciate it um <laughs> I, I haven't seen her in, in other works before but I liked seeing this this actual person who is Hammerhead and I I like the way she um I mean I liked everything about her and I feel like I've con kind of gone on a pretty good rant so Steve I'm gonna let you fill in because I I kind of did that other work no, but pretty much what you said. I mean, like with anything with with multiple personalities, um, the the more life they have, I think the more fleshed out, the more real they become. And like you said, I think that's literally how they see themselves. That's their personality, their physical visage brought forward from the characters that have splintered from the psyche of Kay Chalice, aka Crazy Jane. So, so I agree with that one hundred percent. So having their own physical embodiments makes it obviously easier for Diane Guerrero to um, interact with them when they're in that otherworldly place of, of the underground. So seeing her literally, it's quite brilliant. Arguing with herself is fantastic. And I think the other visages that are still her, like Driver 8, um, like, uh, what was it? Oh, blimey, the, the, the Bride. From the last episode, I forget her name, Kathy Kelly, something with a K. Um, oh, right, you're right. Yeah, Kelly. Yes, Karen, Karen, that's Karen, that's it. Karen, um, they <laughs> still you. look like her. Because I actually think that their personalities that were closer to K, to Jane, when they first formed, um, so the others have, sorry, formed later. Whereas the other characters who've been around for longer have literally become their own people. Because I don't know if you know this, uh, but in extreme cases of multiple personality disorder in the real world, 
where a separate personality has come forth, extreme physical change has taken place, even to the extent where one personality has got different eye color to the dominant or host personality, and that's in the real world. So if Hammerhead becomes so strong that she manifests and literally does look like uh, the second actress, looks Stephanie, then that's just going to be fascinating and add a whole other dynamic to, to the show. And obviously I can sympathise. I mean, I've, I've got several personalities myself, each with its own stupid power. You, you met Adam in, in the third episode of this podcast. He's actually not a different person. He's actually me. His powers are righteous indignation, and mine are extreme positivity. And you can read our adventures in Defective Comics. The next episode's available on the 32nd of October, 2000 and never. And now I'll shut up. I'm by it. You are so hard to follow. Um, I, uh, let's see. Oh, um, so the... Wow, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I haven't... I'm. <laughs> I'm like, I'm totally off. Okay. (laughs) I am. So I haven't actually gotten the chance to see Doom Patrol yet. I've read Doom Patrol, but I have not seen any of the show. So so I hopefully by, you know, by the, the next time I talk to you guys, I have seen at least most of it and I'll have more of an opinion on it. But in any case, I mean, that sounds like a really interesting character instead of powers um kind of reminds you me that watch I'm... one episode you will be hooked and you'll actually sit down and binge watch the, the whole pilot is so addicting it, pilot is it's, it's wonderful it's great wonderful. it's probably my favorite uh, thing on tv right now Amen. all right then i definitely have to and i feel i feel like i've had this conversation before and it's just on that list of things <laughs> as soon as i sit down for five minutes but um yeah so that's and also i thought it was you know, definitely noteworthy in, um, you know, in that announcement about her that she is not bald for the role, that she actually had, I think it was three different kinds of cancer, mm. which is, you know, that that is tough. And that Spicks. also plays into her playing a tough character. But um, yeah, I wish you agree. Yeah, no. So that's I mean, kudos to her. I'm excited to both see Doom Patrol and see what she does in it. But um, and also you know, it's jumping off that Lucifer is coming back on May 8th, I believe. Does anyone anyone have any strong feelings about that? Looking forward to it. That's good. Yeah, it's, that's another one I haven't haven't seen. So that is also on the to watch list. Um, but in better news, the uh, what is it? The Arrowverse and Warner Brothers properties have shown up again on Amazon. Um, I personally didn't experience that issue, but it seems like anyone who bought the season ticket for Arrow wasn't getting the episodes for a while, and they just hammered that out. So it's it seems like there might have either been some sort of, again, pettiness between Amazon and Warner Brothers, or, you know, I, I don't know, some sort of glitch. But, um, Joe, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, there might be pettiness, but I, I think the, the main thing is that there's probably a money issue involved here. Um but again, you know, I'm glad to see that they got it resolved. And, you know, again, just more people watching these shows is a good thing. And the fact that Arrowverse is on Amazon and, you know, who knows what, you know, what would happen 
if it's going to go and if you know if moving forward if things will continue to be on amazon or on netflix or a dc streaming service my whole thing is let's just get it out there in front of as many people as possible um i think that's one of the big reasons that many people have not seen doom patrol yet because it's on um, locked away behind another streaming app um but you know i'm glad they got this resolved and you know more people watching it's a good thing so no seth I'm also glad they got it resolved. I think anytime you invest in something like that, you know, the first thing that you're hoping for is that I've made my part of the deal, which is gave you my money. Now I just need you to keep your end, which is to supply the product, which you've agreed to do, which is regular access to the show as part of this season ticket. I'm not familiar with it. I don't use it for my services. I have a different plan and that's just the one that I'm using. So I can't speak to it, you know, from a personal experience, but whether it was monetary or any other pettiness, you know, what's generally noted for the, the benefit of all companies is when they step up and take responsibility, even when the other party they're dealing with doesn't, you don't take it out on the consumer. You don't take it out on the people that are coming to you for the service and are trusting you to provide it. I mean, I, I honestly think it goes back to that. Oh, goodness. One of the big you know, retail stores. I think it's Nordstrom's, I believe it was. They've got the famous story about Nordstrom's and the old lady with the tire. I don't know if you ever heard that one. It's like a famous customer service. But essentially, an old lady comes back and she's like, I bought this tire and I need my money back. And they're like, this is Nordstrom's. We sell clothes, not tires. And then after speaking to like two or three people and eventually a manager, they're like, here, you know what? How much did you pay for the tire? We're going to we're going to give you the money for the tire. And this is how you know that we're going to give you excellent customer service no matter what. So if Warner Brothers isn't backing up whatever sales were going on with Amazon, Amazon's got enough money. You know what? You keep supplying the deal. You, you don't make that part of the issue for the customers. You guys do that behind closed doors. Because when you do affect it, guess what? Everybody starts wondering, well, how soon is it going to be for them to jump to someone else that I know it's not going to be a problem? When is Warner Brothers just going to move all their stuff over to DC Universe or another streaming service so I don't have this problem? And that's the last thing you want to have happen or for people to be hoping for. Steve, what do you think? Absolutely. Everything you guys just said, it seems like it was a money thing or a licensing thing or, or whatever. And like I say, Amazon have got more money than Bruce Wayne. It, it's it's <laughs> insanity. And they don't pay their taxes. What, what the hell are they doing? Let the fans <laughs> who've paid for their season ticket watch the show they've paid for. Amazon, you have failed this city. That's what I have to say. <laughs> that was so awesome. <laughs> it's, it's true. Better. I mean, now I'm wondering, like, what did I buy on Amazon that I should be checking to make sure it's still there? Because I have a lot of shows that I, I have paid for like that, that now... You know, I mean, hopefully everything, I mean, who keeps track of what they pay for on these kinds of services or what specifically they're supposed to have? Nobody has a running list of, oh, yeah, I should make sure that that's still there and still giving me my I do. I'm married. <laughs> <That's>, I, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's, well, hopefully any of any future hiccups like that won't happen. And, um, you know, they will be dedicated to making sure that the people who paid to see you know, any show or movie are actually getting what they paid for, um, you know, and that it's not, I guess, becoming secondary to some sort of monetary deal. Um, but moving right along, we have something we kind of touched on a little bit earlier. Uh, there has been a Batman cast for um, Titan season two, 
and it is Ian Glenn from uh, Ser Jorah from Game of Thrones, or he was also um, Dan in the Watchmen footage we saw earlier. Um, so, Joe, do you have any, any thoughts there? Yeah, I... To be quite honest, I, I was very surprised to see this uh, casting news. Um, and, you know, I am a Game of Thrones fan. I've seen Ser Jorah. I love the character there. I love his performance there. Um, I, I I don't know what to make of this casting. Um, I don't feel strongly one way or the other. But, y- you know, it's the beauty of a, a lot of these characters, whether it's Batman, Joker, uh, you know, which we'll touch on in a moment. But... It, these, a lot of these characters are there's kind of so many different layers to them, and there's so many different ways to uh, to approach them as as an actor. So, you know, I, I'm just you know I'm willing to give him a, a shot. I'm very curious to see how he does you know how he does it, um, and what kind of what sort of things he's going to lean on, um, y- you know, and uh, for for the character moving forward. Um, yeah, I'm just excited and curious. Really, uh, I, I don't have much else to say about that. I'm definitely excited to see what what he's going to do with this. Uh, Seth, what, what do you think about the casting? Well, uh, to be honest, when I first heard about it, I knew that this podcast would be coming up and that this would be a topic and that this would be the awkward moment where I admit that I don't watch Game of Thrones. <laughs> and I'm I'm waiting no. for the rotten fruits and vegetables. I know. What I'm waiting. The... Yeah. It's, it's so that it's, time of the year where everybody gets to t- say tell everybody else that they don't watch Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's that it. one moment, and um, I I know that there's going to be a, a time where it's going to fit. It was just in the first season or two, my life work schedule didn't allow me to dig in, and once I get past a certain point, I'm like, no, I'm not going to try and catch up. I'm not going to try and keep up. There's still time. I kind of did. There is. Twenty-six hours. Yeah, there's a possibility, <laughs> but there's also the recognition of you know maybe this is one of those. I did this with Battlestar Galactica actually. I missed the first couple seasons, and then oh, when I jumped on, awesome. I started just binging, and then it was great because I didn't have to wait a week or nothing. Like I was just like, I'm gonna spend this weekend watching Battlestar. Screw everybody. <laughs> And it was it was a beautiful experience, you know, or just going, <laughs> that was good. I'm gonna watch one more. I'm probably gonna watch 10 more. I, I, <laughs> I know that's coming for me. And we now have HBO streaming. So I, I have access to it. It's just a, a matter of digging in and making time. Um, and so based on that, I was like, wow, what am I gonna say? And then we got blessed with this great video clip of him portraying, you know, Dan, night owl and getting a chance to actually see his acting chops and when i did i as i mentioned earlier i really was impressed with all of his choices i thought it was great the way the staging followed the script so so well i thought it it was so true to the book so so many of those things give me a lot of promise for what he could be as a great bruce wayne but what really stuck for me with this article is when you slide on down, it makes a key point of saying that he's only cast as Batman, and there's no um, indication that he'll also be pulling on the cowl. And it, it's weird, but right when I was listening to Joe, as you were finishing your your description and thoughts, the, the crazy thought popped in my head. Okay, this is just silly, and anyone call me out on this. But wouldn't it be kind of cool if if there was this weird sort of tension where we see him playing Bruce Wayne, but it's a different actor as Batman in the suit, right? And that he doesn't speak. 
And that when he does, you know, sort of show up at some point, someone's like, hey, he didn't say anything to you. And, you know, what if simply Dick's like, well, since the fight, when we have the suits on, we don't talk or some kind of level like that where it's not really needed. But if he is putting on the suit, I have all sorts of curious questions because I haven't seen him in action in any sort of physical roles. So I, I I'm sort of just kind of, you know, playing with that sort of idea in my head and. Before I just start going down the rabbit hole, Steve, <laughs> your thoughts. Well, um, I love Game of Thrones, and many of you may well be aware that I also love Batman. But I'm going to literally be the anti-Steve this week and say I'm not sure I, I love this casting choice. And I, w- I will explain, of course. Um, Ian Glenn is a fantastic actor. I've seen him... Since the 80s, I think he's been on TV and on stage in the UK. He's a, he's a Scotsman. He's a fellow Brit. And he's a fantastic actor. But um, while I love him on Game of Thrones and he does have combat training, he is a very proficient uh, fighter. He's done a lot of stunt work as well. Um, I, I just question casting a 57-year-old actor as Bruce Wayne because if this is the case, um, when did he recruit Dick as his sidekick? When he was in his late 40s. Um, I don't understand that choice. I mean, even Ben Affleck, who I ended up loving as Batman, uh, was too old for the role. When every DC superhero stops aging at the age of 34 and a half. Um, <laughs> so I don't understand it's a why. Yeah. Um, so I'm a little bit confused. Well, I think he's going to be a great Bruce Wayne. I'm not going to deny it. he's a fantastic actor, and he has got the perfect jawline for the cow. Um, <laughs> yeah. I just, nice. I, I'm going to give him a chance because I'm not the kind of person to just go no and throw all my toys out of the pram when a strange casting decision is made <laughs> because he's a fantastic actor. I'll let him do it, but I'm just. Mm. Why the age? I, I don't get that. But hey, give the guy a chance. Let, let him play it. Yeah, I mean, if, if Ben Affleck can do it, then I'm sure I, yeah, the age is the only thing because I personally, I did not enjoy Ben Affleck as Batman, but only because I couldn't get over the fact that it was Ben Affleck. So, I mean, Ian Glenn, I'm not as familiar with. I've only ever seen him in Game of Thrones. Um you know, and I love him in Game of Thrones, so I'm I'm hopeful, skeptical, but definitely hopeful. He does have fight scenes in Game of Thrones. He he, he does, you know, throw down if you will. Well, he's got physical chops and he's got the acting chops, absolutely. It's so he age. could pull off the moves. You know, he you could see him doing, you know, oh yeah, the grappling gun. I think so. Getting into a, yeah. a pretty good fight scene because that was my only real question: is not knowing that having to admit that I haven't seen him in action. like, And, you know, you've also mentioned that he had combat training, Steve. And have you seen him when you saw him in the 80s? Did he ever do any sort of physical roles where that was, oh, you know? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. I mean, I, I, I might be wrong. Um, please, uh, listeners, correct me if I am. But I'm sure that back back in the day, he was actually in the running for Bond for a while. Mm. So, Interesting. Wow. Yeah, uh, okay. oh, definitely. Right. He can act. He can do the physical stuff. I, I'm just... It's, Kelly, you said it perfectly. I'm optimistic yet skeptical. That that's the best way of putting it because he's a terrific actor, and I always support my fellow uh, Brits. But uh, I just can't get my head around a guy who's nearly sixty being Batman with a Robin who's who's like twenty. It's just a bit weird. Yeah, yeah I was 
trying to understand what the intention would be. Kelly, were you going to say something similar? Oh, you're good. I um, Yeah, pretty much the same thing. Yeah, because, you know, I just have to wonder, you know, Steve, you make a really good point of that age difference. You know, what's what's the, the goal visually and also relationship wise between them? What What's the attempt to establish here? Because clearly it's not passing on of the cow, you know, with with him stepping away and with a new Robin. That's that's not the focus. So why make such a pronounced uh, visual impact with the age? for these two characters and, and make it such a question for the, the viewer. That's it. That's, that's my disconnect as well. But I would say he doesn't look his age. He does look great for a guy who, who's uh, uh, approaching 60, but um, maybe it's actually, you know what, you, what you said has actually given me horse thought. Cause maybe that's exactly why he's at a later stage of his life. He knows he can't be Batman for much longer and he does need to pass the mantle on to someone who can take it on and he's seeing Jason's not the right man for the role. Um, he's going to have an expanded role in, in season two as well. So maybe now he has to reconcile with Dick much the way he, he did in the comics. So uh, that actually hmm. might be the way in that actually might be a, a better reasoning for it. So thanks Seth. Yeah. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> Happy accident. It was not intentional and I'm not even sure what I said. If you put me to the question, I couldn't repeat it verbatim. But all right, happy. <laughs> Instantly cracked the case. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a detective. <laughs> I, just, I mean, Batman is so. Um, but yeah, so the, the, the next thing um, we have on our plate is Arrow could possibly receive a spinoff when it ends. However, exactly what that spinoff would be is a little bit vague. And it kind of just sounds like I, I, just an affirmation that no one's opposed to it. But, um, you know, what, what do you think, Joe? Are you Do you think there should be a spinoff? Um, I, I'm not surprised to hear the news about spinoffs. I mean, <laughs> to be honest, uh, how many shows started off with... Uh, with an appearance on Arrow. Um, so I can totally see them just continuing in this universe. Um, I, I still remain uh, loyal to the idea that, you know, Stephen Amell isn't done with Arrow. I can totally see him perhaps returning in for maybe one or two episodes in some of the other shows. Uh, but again, yeah, it doesn't surprise me that, you know, they would want to do, you know, spinoff and continue to build on on this universe. I could see spinoffs really coming from any of the shows, really, uh, whether it's Flash or you know Supergirl. Um, yeah, it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me. Again, it's kind of just trying to find that sweet spot of like, okay, like what do fans, what do viewers really like, and you know, do they have kind of the uh, the you know the juice to to go off and and do their own thing, but. You know, I, I want to turn it over to Seth because Seth, I know you're the uh, you're the big uh, Arrow fan. So, uh, what do you think about a spinoff? What would you like to see? <laughs> well, I I will admit I am an Arrow fan. I'm 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 pretty proud of it. I I like what I've seen, and one of my favorite things is what you pointed out, which is how many great shows that we've already had the chance to see come about after the characters made a guest appearance on Arrow, and what we currently have are uh, a cast of characters that I would love to watch in future stories. I was a huge fan of Mr. Terrific in the comics. So when they brought him in, I, I was just jumping all over the place. I was really intrigued with 
the choices on his portrayal. But that just made me even more excited when they brought in characters like Ragman. I mean, mm-hmm. I have this amazing affinity for Ragman. I, I I like so much about what I've seen about his characters, whether it was just in yes. a story in showcase or <laughs> yeah, thank you, Steve. Um, <laughs> you know, so just seeing that great group, I love I love you know Roy. Um, I've always had this soft spot in my heart. In fact, you know, I, I do that spinner rack too. And I was talking about how recently the Red Hood uh, issue that I was reviewing reminded me about how hard it's been for characters like Jason Todd and Roy to find sort of their place. So I have this really, really great place in my heart for them where they can always find a home. And I would love to watch them in a show. Black Canary, I would love to watch a Black Canary show. I mean, she's so amazing. She's she's a detective. Her her sense of the law, her her ferocity. Uh, there's so many characters that could spin off into a show that I would be more than happy to watch. I'm um, even as I think about it, I would love a a team. You know, whatever the setup might be with a couple of these great characters, I'd love to even see if they could bring Wally over and mix a speedster in because he's not really getting a lot of action on Flash and. It's kind of hard finding him a home, too. In fact, I would really, as I think of it, love to see kind of a, an outcast show. You know, a show with all these characters who don't really have a home and create a team that's based on that idea. They're, they're their own new family, their own home for each other, something like that. And they've developed all these characters so well that they could all be launched with great potential and with great storytelling range for seasons to come um steve you were cheering me on i I can't wait to hear where you're gonna pick up everything you just said that that's everything (laughs) this happens Uh, a lot every (laughs) character like you say ragman vastly underrated grossly underused and actually i thought they they portrayed him really i mean his costume was terrific in that series Uh, yes terrific mr terrific uh wild dog uh all the canaries yeah, so much potential. But even uh, I, I really enjoyed the episode where Oliver wasn't even in it. They did recently, which was the, the future episode with his daughter, with uh, Black Star. Uh, I think she could Change. carry the show. She's awesome. So <laughs> maybe yeah. let, let's 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 be honest here. Arrow. Um, many people have described it as Walmart Batman. He's like Batman that isn't Batman. These guys could also be like the Outsiders. I mean, so much potential. I'd watch it. I, I watch all the Arrowverse shows. Um, I review a couple of them. So, yeah, great. Um, sign me up. Yes, please. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's nice. That's an, a Walmart Batman. I, you know, I haven't heard of that one. You have is... heard that? Oh, that's no. good. Going <laughs> he's, he's actually doing a little side project, a comedy thing called Walmart Batman, apparently. So um, <laughs> that's actually become a thing. <laughs> wow, is it like a parody kind of comic? Because that's awesome. Yes. Is it him solving crimes in Walmart or just like in, He's in the like a Walmart store detective kind of thing? <laughs> um, it's but, like uh, yeah, I, I want to see it. Yeah, that's so, not. He's in loss prevention. Um, <laughs> so, and also <laughs> another. <laughs> Another show that is, um, unfortunately, we're not going to be seeing, um, in addition to Arrow, is it looks like Preacher was cancelled. Um, does anyone, has anyone been watching Preacher, Joe? Uh, I have not. Nope, that's, uh, Seth? I love, 
I'm gonna miss it. I fell behind, and it's one that I've I've put on my streaming list for another binge. I got a couple of issues in, and or episodes in issues. Talking like a comic guy, um, a couple episodes in, and I really liked everything I was seeing. But there were a couple of issues for me with time on uh, the channel it was on, and then there was like a a move, and I I really had some difficulty keeping track of of the episodes. So when that happened, I was like, all right, I'm going to figure out where it's going to be streaming at. And pretty soon I'll, I'll have a chance. So hopefully I'll get to do so before it's completely off the air and it goes somewhere and maybe I can't access it. But uh, what I saw early on was a lot of fun. I mean, I, I, I already enjoyed the actor when I got to see him um, from... Oh, goodness. The first Captain America. I mean, to this day, I'm always going to equate him with that great, what? Fondue? It's just a type of cheese. And <laughs> and from there, that's always going to be who he was for me, right? Because that was such a great comedic thing. And I felt like watching him on Preacher, I got to see who he really is, like all of his range as an actor. And that's something I want to keep watching. So I'm a little disappointed that it's not going to have a chance to go on further. Um, but it is a wake-up call for me to catch up because if i enjoyed it as much as it was and i can now hopefully stream it well where's the hold up man anybody else uh i followed preacher religiously because i love the vertigo book as well it's just one of my favorites it's, it's the one show that could actually almost out crazy doom patrol so it's dark it's irreverent. Um, anyone who's got any religious beliefs will either run a mile or just laugh themselves stupid watching it because some of the things that they come up with, I do not actually know how they get away with some of the things they say and do on preachers, yeah. specifically, space. especially with the Christian. Yeah. Um, so I am really sad it's ending, but knowing it's ending, the fact that it's happened before the final season airs, hopefully means that they're going to go out with a bang. They're going to go bigger, bolder, more back crap crazy than ever before. Um, so I'm invested because I've loved every second of this show. The casting, the acting, the direction, everything about it is, uh, yeah, you're quite lucky, Seth, and, and you as well, Kelly, that you can actually binge these shows and not have to wait to watch them weekly because it's another show where once you've seen three or four episodes, you just think, Put the next one on. Put the next one on. So I'm sad, but I'm, I'm hopeful that they're going to go out fighting. So I'm looking forward to that. You, you know, I do want to touch on one thing real quick. Uh, just the, you know, I remember seeing, um, I believe it was last year's uh, San Diego Comic-Con. It might have been one or two years ago. But I do remember seeing they were advertising Preacher very heavily. Uh, they had banners and, you know, advertisements. Kind of not just in the uh, like DC area, but you know all over the hall. You know they were, you know it was all over the place. So there was a push, and I remember they they had they had a panel there, um, kind of a press panel that I attended. Um, so it felt like they were really trying to push the show, but you know it just it just never really caught on. And you know reading on this you know this story from Hollywood Reporter, you know the the fact that you know they just can AMC the channels continuing to double down on you know, the walking dead and it's kind of pushing out a lot of these shows out, uh, you know, off, off to the rear, you know, it makes me wonder if, um, perhaps DC or, or vertigo or whoever has to be more, 
uh, selective in terms of you know what channels they're going to be on. And, you know, it's kind of like the uh, if you guys remember, uh, Supergirl started off on CBS, and uh, it kind of felt like this. Uh, Kind of like the, uh, the, the the stepchild, if you will, with, uh, you know, you had Arrow and you had the Flash. You know, they were, one was on Tuesday, the other one was on Wednesday on CW, you know, at the same time. And then you had kind of Supergirl that was off doing her own thing. And then, but then when she was brought over, when the show was brought over to CW, you kind of felt like uh, it was part of this family of will, of, of, if you will, of, of TV shows. So, you know, I, I, I hope to see in the future, uh, with any of these, you know, Vertigo, especially with Vertigo, uh, you know, TV shows based on these properties, I, I hope they kind of find like whether it's Netflix, you know, not, you know, not, you know, you have Lucifer on Netflix, but or the streaming service, uh, you know, I would like to see them kind of, you know, ver- these Vertigo shows being part of this like cohesive family on one channel that you can kind of like, OK, you know that they're on this channel and then they're going to get support. And, you know, because. I mean, Preacher, you know, it's arguable, it's, it's, it's definitely, you know, some people would say it's one of the greatest uh, series ever made. And the fact that Absolutely. they couldn't really, yeah, yeah, and the fact that they couldn't really, you know, build something, a TV show off of it, I, you know, it's just, it's just sad to see. And again, uh, you know, I'm, I'm to blame. I didn't, I didn't watch the show. I, I, I mean, I don't have cable, um, so I don't have access to AMC. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the idea that, okay, well, where, where can I find Preacher, I, I mean, I'd, I'd have to check to see if, if it's on Netflix or whatnot. But I would like to see moving forward these TV shows just kind of end up in a you know specific spot or a place where, you know, this is where you go for if, for Vertigo uh, shows, if you will. But that's the I'll take I'll get off my soapbox now. <laughs> no, that's a great thought because obviously <laughs> they've said that uh, they're bringing back Constantine, and mm-hmm. Netflix already have. Uh, lucifer so could you imagine if netflix now they've cancelled all the marvel shows became like a vertigo network like lucifer constantine and preacher damn i'd I'd subscribe for the rest of my life yeah definitely and not only that but i was just noticing you know i was looking back over the article details one of the things that seemed to be a big sticking point was that amc had to pay the licensing fees for preacher right right. and that everything else was being produced in-house so if the production team can go ahead and pitch this to either one DC universe or Netflix and say, look, bring us in house, remove that fee issue. And we just make this part of a package deal, less problems. We've got the audience. And if we can show enough, you know, presence as we lead up to that finale, why mm-hmm. not just pick us back over? Because yeah, we've done it with Constantine and we've seen it work with other shows and even shows that are not, you know, DC Comics related, uh, the TV show The Killing, which I was a big fan of and had its jump around for a little bit and finally found its home, I think on Netflix, I think was the final one. Why not, you know, go to a home where they want you and these aren't going to be issues that are going to be sticking points, you know, go where you can get it all done in house and go to a place that's your home. And like Joe pointed out, it worked for Supergirl and CW. I mean, <laughs> Can I get a hell yeah? Hell yeah! <laughs> <laughs> ah, hell yeah! <laughs> yeah, that's and I mean AMC can only milk The Walking Dead for so long. I I don't even know what else is on AMC at this point. But um, I mean, yeah, with any luck, they'll keep 
or with any luck, Prusher will find somewhere else to go because that does, it's from what I've seen of it, it does look really good and I've wanted to get into it. So I, it would be tragic if it was cut a little bit earlier than the team creating it wanted it to be, or if they had more room to, um, you know, build on the story. No, absolutely. I'm agreeing with you. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 No, it's well, well, I mean, we'll see. Hopefully there's a ton of streaming services out there now. So hopefully at the very least DC universe will take them, you know, take them in. Um, and then also on its last episode, I believe, or the last legs of its series is Gotham, um, which we have this really interesting new image of what's going to be a very terrifying Joker. Um, Joe, do you have any thoughts? As listeners will probably recognize, I the live action DC TV is kind of one of my weak spots. So I haven't caught up on Gotham, but let me let me just say I, I saw this picture and honest to God, I was absolutely terrified of the way the Joker looks like in, in a good way. Like, I think this is the the scariest version of Joker that 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 I've I've ever seen. And, you know, I'm also including, uh, you know, Greg Capullo's faceless uh, Joker, um, which kind of delved into uh, the horror aspects of of the character. But I, I was absolutely freaked out. Um by this version but i think again it goes back to what i said earlier but there are so many different ways to play this character um so uh, it, it makes me curious it makes me want to check out the show see you know how it wraps up check out the episode see how it's actually portrayed um and see how how hard they lean into uh the horror aspects of the character because i i mean honestly i you know i'm not yeah, yeah, it just really freaked me out. I was like, my goodness, the makeup on that just looks fantastic. Um, absolutely terrifying, and I hope they lean into that really hard. But uh, Seth, what, what, what did you think about the uh, the photos? Absolutely disgusting. And mm. that was the great part about it, because what I think really stuck for me was as I looked at the images, and that was all I wanted to base my assessment on, was that, Wow he looks really raw. Everything about his face and everything about like the way the skin bubbled mm. and the way it looked kind of rough or like the, the cheek and the jawline into the neck sort of blends and all of these things that tell me, you know, when someone suffers a really bad trauma, it generally looks really terrible <laughs> early on. And then there's a healing process and it can take a long time afterwards for that to you know correct itself but what we're seeing is sort of this first moment and everything about him feels so like rough and disjointed and i don't know it not quite jigsaw but it, it feels like this is the the rough unpolished version and that mm -hmm. the joker that we see later on in so many other versions is something that's so much more you know developed it's cultured it's something that he's embraced and right, right now it just feels like it's this thing he's been stuck with and this is his first sort of like all right we're gonna try this out you know what i mean and that mm -hmm. was really my feeling from it but also that it, it lended to the grotesque you know sense that comes with it which is like dude if I touch your skin, will it fall off? Come mm. on. Be honest <laughs> with me right now. Because I don't know if it's hanging on to your face what? there. And it looks like, you know, 
touch and go. And and that sort of gave that additional, ooh, that's just wrong. That's just not right. And and I don't want it to move too much in case, well, things get really ugly. Er, Steve? Yeah, what, 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 what you've all said. Plus the fact that the one thing that I, I've liked uh, about Gotham is the way it seems to be a lot more grounded. The fact that they shoot it in New York, it's clearly New York and it's the seedier, darker, more real side of New York. This is a Joker that actually finally looks like someone who's taken a nosedive into a vat of nasty chemicals. It's not just going to bleach your skin chalk white and dye your hair green. It's going to mess you and that's what these photos are. This is uh, some major league ick factor. And I love it. He's scary. And yes, he'll smooth down. He'll heal over time. But this is the Joker of your nightmares. And Cameron Monaghan, he's played every Joker imaginable from the 40s version to the faceless version to the clown to the somber uh, crime lord he's done it all so finally having a joker with the green hair and the chalk white skin plus 10 yeah i'm i'm all in two more episodes left and this season has been fantastic apart from one diabolical episode but i won't dwell on that one i'll dwell on the on the 11 good ones so yeah last two are coming and uh we're gonna see young baby batman david mizzou's take on the cowl and penguin with a monocle riddler with a cane yes worth it well yeah that's this this is the joker i think of all of the ones i've seen it actually i mean heath Ledger, ledger's joker scared me but this one is this one's the first one that's like gross that's very just um <laughs> you know seth as, as i believe you were saying it's this the is, eyes, it looks like the eyes is what gets me. <laughs> i mean kudos to him kudos to you know their costume and makeup team because that is that is just a gross looking human um and and so moving into <laughs> moving into comic he's almost not even you yeah he's i oh god nope that's well said well no, said i he is not a joker i'd want to find sitting in my closet or anywhere pretty much anywhere he's he's fine on the screen um but I, yeah, so moving into comic leave news. Him there, leave him right there on the screen. You do what, not what I find here in your closet. No, 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 no. <laughs> I mean, but some of them, it's like, all right, it's, it's, you know, he doesn't look like I should be running off in terror immediately. This guy, I mean, what is he hoisting in that one picture? What's attached to that rope? Those, all of those things I want to know, but also don't want to know at all. I don't, I don't want to know. <laughs> <laughs> Just menacingly hoisting something. <laughs> but, oh, God, that, that can't be good, though, if the joke... All right. But, um, so um, it looks like uh, Lois Lane and Jimmy Olsen are going to be getting their own spin-off comic series. Um, so, and as most comic fans know, they are both very close with Superman. Um, so it looks like Lois Lane's is going to be a little bit grittier and more... Um, you know, grounded and serious, whereas Jimmy Olsen's is going to be kind of seems silly, and he's a vlogger, not a reporter, but a vlogger for the Daily Planet. Um, so, Joe, what do you think? 
All right, let me let me take a second here because I am absolutely ex- so excited for this. This just looking at the artwork, it's just well, there's a couple things, and you know, I might go off in a little rant here, but um, I'm really excited to see Greg Rucka and and you know working on the Lois Lane title. Uh, just by looking at the artwork, it it, it just looks it does, it looks just kind of like a gritty you know crime drama um i almost wish you know the the images we're seeing are in black and white i almost wish that they would keep it uh black and white um just to kind of keep it i don't know almost it looks very noirish keep it really grounded you know really keep it away from a lot of the uh, kind of like the superhero heroics that are you've seen some of the other titles um i don't know if they will or not if they'll ha- add color but i wouldn't mind seeing a black and white version um here so i'm I'm definitely excited to see this. I, I think Lois Lane is is really an underrated character. Um, you know, I, I I forget who it was, but I remember hearing someone at a panel um, where they argued Lois Lane is the bravest character in the DC universe, and you know that that idea just always kind of really was stuck in, in you know in my mind whenever I, I looked at her character. You know, she doesn't have power. She doesn't have you know, training and, you know, you know, technology, weapons, all these kinds of things. But yet she just is still out there fighting in, in her own way. And um, to see this book, you know, come about it, I think it's a limited series, if I'm not mistaken. But I am just so excited to see this. And, and you know, with the Jimmy Olsen title, uh, I, again, same thing. I'm so excited because of two words, Matt Fraction. I adore Matt Fraction. I loved his work with Uncanny X-Men. Yes. I, Folks, if you haven't, go read his Hawkeye run. It is, it was Eisner. I don't think, it, I don't know if it won the Eisners, but it was definitely nominated. It is seriously like one of the best things that you'll read out there. Um, and uh, Sex Criminals, uh, his work on Image, I, that is just a great title. Um, I don't know if it's going to be turned into a, uh, some sort of live action or not. I can totally see it becoming some kind of TV show. Again, you know, I, I, I love Matt Fraction. If there was one person that I wish DC would kind of pull from one of the other publishing houses, it would be Matt Fraction. Um, so I, you know, it doesn't matter to me what, what character he decides to write for DC. It's it's going to be Jimmy Olsen. Great. I am so excited to see this. I don't care if it was this or Batmite or, you know, whatever. If, if Matt Fraction is attached, I am 100% there, 100% sold on it. Um, so, yeah, I can, I can gush on more if, <laughs> if, uh, on this, but I'm going to turn it over to Seth. And so I'd love to hear what you guys think. Gosh, away! That was beautiful. Thank you, thank you. Indeed, I, again, yeah, indeed. Just, don't get me started. Which I did, but I'll calm down now. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, gushing's great. I mean, water fountains—they gush. They're they're kind of beautiful. So we're waterfalls. So. <laughs> Aww, so Joe, g- gush away, my friend. We're only here to enjoy all the beautiful things that you were just saying, and it's thank so you. easy to my my pleasure, man. It's easy to echo and follow. Of course, Lois and Jimmy are two pillars in the life of Superman. Um, Lois has always been the most engaging for me when she feels like people have underestimated her. 
And she needs to prove to them that before she was a reporter, she was a general's daughter. She understands discipline. She knows how to get things done. She knows what it's like when someone does underestimate her physically or otherwise. And she has to prove them wrong and sometimes teach them a valuable lesson in the process. Um, I also am a huge fan of Fraction. I love what he did with the X-Men and... Mm -hmm. and to this day, one of my favorite stories to reshare without even hinting to people that it's a Hawkeye story is the story about Hawkeye and his brother and that mm. scene where the older brother teaches him how to fight and basically uh, says to him, if you're going to hit somebody, you have to hit him harder than that. Hit me again until you get it right. And that sense of shared love in such a weird way between family, between brothers is something that is endeared to me uh, and will always be a memory i carry with me so powerful keeping really that is. in mind yeah and keeping that in mind it it only allows me to consider just what it's going to be like for him to unwrap jimmy olsen who is this guy who wants to work at the daily planet so bad even though being superman's pal almost always gets him killed how does he come up with these crazy schemes that at one point during the 90s had him with his own tv show where he was playing like this kind of turtle ninja fighting guy and all of these other crazy adventures what what makes a guy do that you know and, and much like it was the question of what makes a carney turn into you know this amazing archer we learned that with with fraction's story we learned that there was so much more about hawkeye and what we're going to get to learn about jimmy olsen with all the potential that's existed from the time he first started appearing in superman stories it, amazing and the last thing is simply what I've been really enjoying about DC Comics and what they've been doing with these 12-issue runs. I mean, if you get a chance to check out uh, everything that was so beautiful and powerful when he took on, uh, oh, goodness, the escape artist for DC, whose name is totally escaping me. Had this, thank you. The Mr. Miracle run. I mean, that was some... And that was some heart-wrenching storytelling that came from such an honest place that, as he mentioned later in an interview, you're just writing from your soul at some point. You're just tapping into the places that you can best relate to in the moment you're writing. And knowing what that has brought forward so far, I can only feel that these 12-issue series, both of them, are going to do something that they wouldn't be able to do in a regular storyline for either one of the, the main characters that you imagine them tied to in the moment, but also because of all the things we'll get to explore because those limitations aren't there because that overshadowing isn't going on. And like you, I could keep ranting for a bit, but I want to hear Steve now. Guys couldn't agree more. I mean, have we actually had a, a proper Lois Lane or Jimmy Olsen series since the seventies? It's taken this long for these two amazing characters to, to, to get their chance in the spotlight again. And, and like you both said, the creative talents behind them, you, you've both talked about Matt Fraction, and I echo everything you said, but I've also got to say Greg Rucker, um, being a, a more Batman-based guy, I mean, this guy's resume is astonishing. I mean, he's written not just Batman, he's written Superman, he's written Wonder Woman. He uh, took over after the No Man's Land arc, which is uh, no mean feat. He helped create Gotham Central, uh, the whole Bruce Wayne murderer fugitive storyline. Um, he actually did the novel. He's a novelist and a comic writer. He did the, the actual prose novel for No Man's Land. 
he's a fantastic crime writer. The fact that he's getting Lois Lane, a, a, a journalist who's a total badass. She is amazing. I, God, finally, Lois Lane, Jimmy Olsen, with two giants uh, of the comics writing world uh, bringing us their adventures. Finally, all I can say is it's about damn time. That's, yeah, happy. Right. Yeah, that's, and I love the angle they're taking with her, that it's kind of that, you know, um, that, that kind of noir um, yeah. detective look. That's really cool. That's really, and it's not a way I think that a lot of people react to think of her, especially if it's someone who isn't maybe as familiar with um, her backstory. Mm-hmm. It it gives her a serious edge, and I like that. I like that they're, I, I mean, it seems like they're really going to take her seriously. And I, I'd read um, a lot of Rucka's work on Wonder Woman, and he did a fantastic job there. So I'm really excited to see what they really do. Good. Yeah, yeah, moving forward. And um, on in that vein, the, um, the Mr. Miracle title was absolutely phenomenal. I, and that, I believe that was 12 issues too, right? That one was a limited series. Exactly. And that was one of the things I really loved about, you know, this sort of concept where there's only so much story you can tell in 12 issues. That's it. You know, you're going to, you're going to do this thing. And knowing that and the buildup that sort of came with it, I mean, granted, didn't have the same sort of mystery like the commodity one did where you're always changing writers. But you were watching a writer take a story through 12 issues. And and these writers, I mean, they've all proven their ability to do so in all the ways that, you know, we've each sort of highlighted. And so seeing them do this again, I mean, in 12 issues and just sort of like go for it, tell the story that these characters have been you know, waiting to tell us, and we've been waiting to hear about them. Uh, yeah, I, I can't get more excited about a 12-issue idea like that. Yeah, yeah, I yes. agree. And it's it's nice to see writers that don't have to run a concept into the ground. Um, you know, we're not pushed <laughs> to keep, Thank you. like, just keep putting out stuff and more and more and more and more until eventually the reader is sick of it. I like the idea of something being limited where it's you can tell a fantastic story and you know how much time you have to do it. And that I think that's a really great idea for both of them. Um, and well, then the beauty part is, if if the twelve issues are really good, sorry Kelly, if the twelve <laughs> issues are really good with these two writers, um, they could make proper ongoing runs of it as well. These are two guys who could really, really push the envelope and make these runs even longer. But yeah, I'm looking for the twelve issues to start with. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and then, so unfortunately, American Carnage only got to issue nine. Um, that's not a series I've gotten a chance to read. Or, you know what, I think I actually have the first issue or the first two issues in my to-read pile, which is right next to my to-watch pile. So, eventually. But, um, yeah, it doesn't, it seems like they got to nine, and I don't think that was intended. Um, Joe, what do you think? Yeah, um... Actually, I haven't read American Carnage, but it has been on my list specifically because uh, Seth recommended it. Um, so I, I I could go on about, you know, the idea of I think DC is kind of publishing too many books right now. But, uh, you know, I don't want to get on that soapbox, but I do want to pass it off to Seth because, uh, you know, he did mention, you know, he was the one person that recommended it to me. And I, I, I really want to hear what Seth has to say about this. Well, 
I did recommend it, and I actually jumped on when I picked it for one of my books for uh, a different podcast. And when I was reading it, I was so engaged by the concept that I immediately caught up on the earlier issues and followed it from issue four. And what I think is the biggest challenge is that it's dealing with some very well controversial and difficult material. I mean, essentially, the main character is someone who is viewed by the majority of society as a disgrace, a disgraced FBI agent in many ways, something of a letdown regarding his relationship with his heritage and later his issues with substance abuse and so many other complications. And he's given a chance to play an undercover role where he's going into this uh, very dangerous environment where someone is rising to political power based on their financial success and yet also pushing an agenda that the FBI and others think might be close to white supremacy. And it's dealing with some very heavy content that can be a lot to dig into. How much of that played into, you know, what what's happening now, sales or other things like that? I do know that I wondered in my mind how far it could keep pushing the envelope of controversy before it, it got into a situation where maybe, you know, it was sort of playing with fire and also aware of the fact that it was challenging readers. Um Whatever the final issue might be, this was a story that I felt was really loaded. And uh, I was really encouraged by it because I felt not only with the storytelling, but with the characters, so many risks were being taken that aren't so often taken in comics that I wanted to see just how far it could go. I'm just disappointed it's only going to make it to issue nine because I felt there was a longer possibility with only heightened stakes and greater rewards if they were you know, taken and potentially successful. Steve, did you have anything to add on uh, about American Carnage? Did you have a chance to pick it up or where or anything like uh, that? I love that book. I, I'm totally in agreement with you, Seth. I love that book. I am um, a, a big fan of Brian Edward Hill a, a, as a writer and as a human being in in general, to be honest. Um, the way he speaks to people online, the way he encourages people, uh, budding creators to, to follow their path and not give up, the way he talks to fans and treats fans, and the quality of his writing. I mean, I first uh, read the five-issue run he did on Detective Comics after James Tynan left, and it was absolutely brilliant. The fact he's bringing back Batman and the Outsiders next month, uh, the fact that he's written American Carnage for DC, he's doing incredible work on uh, Killmonger for Marvel. This is a seriously gifted writer and what i'm loving about american carnage is like you say it's sometimes it's a tough read because it's one of the most um for one of a better word one of the most real comics i've ever read because he's dealing with issues that yes they're controversial yes they're dark but it's stuff that's happening on the streets today and this is a character again who you're not sure you should even like but you feel for him and i'm just hoping unless he goes whole hog and takes that dark path and actually he he dies at the end of issue nine i'm hoping it's just gonna be volume one we're gonna get a, a volume two of american carnage down the line because it's a seriously deep uh read and and i'm i'm quite sad it's ending but i'm keeping my fingers crossed that this isn't the end it's an end here here 
Yeah, that's, I agree. And I mean, there's luckily, because he's so talented, there's no saying that this is, that this has to be the end of American Carnage. Um, and, you know, maybe it's at the moment hard to sell in, you know, the current kind of political and social environment. But, you know, that doesn't mean that, you know, two, three, five years from now, it won't be the perfect way to actually dissect some of the stuff that's happening currently. Yeah. Um, so does anyone else have any thoughts on that? It's a real mirror to, to today's society, isn't it, Seth, this book? It, it really is. And it, it presents it with a, a very challenging cast. I mean, the, the way these characters are so positioned against each other. Not only do you not know whether or not to trust, trust the main guy, but everyone he's interacting with, you're like, when are they going to screw this guy over? Because clearly they're going to screw anybody. this guy over. Yeah, and how can you? And, and not only that, but after you're done reading it, it doesn't make it easy to go walk outside and look other people in the eye because at some point you're going to be asking those same questions. You know, how much do I trust you? What are you looking at me yeah. for? What's going on? <laughs> this is a comic that makes you think even after you finish reading it, um, it still resonates. And that that for a four color funny book is a pretty tall order. And that that shows the, the quality of the writing, because, yeah, you, you close this book once you've read it and it still plays on your mind. So, yeah, absolutely. And worse, you see it on television mm-hmm. and in the newspaper. I mean, essentially, this book is showing you the things that you can't stop seeing when you put it down because it's pulling them from the very things that you're interacting with on a daily basis, whether it's your phone, your television, or any other form of media. These are things that you can't escape, and the book isn't offering you that escape. It's actually saying, okay, what if we dive deeper? And that's a tall order. Agreed. I love what Kelly said, actually. What you said, Kelly, about uh, maybe in a few years' time, people pick that book up and, and, and see it as a real commentary on the America of today. And that's what I'm hoping for, that, that it will follow up and, and we'll see a, a, a secondary, not a conclusion, but a secondary continuation to this story. Yeah, that would be interesting to see how that would play again. I mean, none of us knows what the next few years is going to hold, but to see that play against itself in the future would be really, really fascinating. Absolutely. Um, but so uh, we're going to, I guess, start wrapping up. Um, I'm Kelly, and I've been talking to Joe, Seth, and Steve. Um, so you can follow them on their social media and also check out some of their other work. Um, Joe, what can what can you be found on? Um, so I can, you can find me at Joseph Marcus on uh, Instagram, and I do have a Twitter, which I haven't built up yet. That's one of my that's on my to do list. Um, I do want to tease something real quick. Um, very actually, as soon as we're done wrapping up here, I'm going to because uh, we recorded a couple of several interviews at uh, this past WonderCon, um, and I do want to tease that out to the listeners um, to check that out. Um, I had the, the 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 absolute pleasure of interviewing Kevin Conroy um, during the wow. uh, 80th Batman anniversary. Um, and I, I, I got to give a quick shout out. We did a couple of interviews. I got to interview uh, Mark and Draco, who's writing Supergirl, and um, Joelle Jones, who's writing Catwoman. And I do want to give a quick shout out to Kevin Sharp, who uh, just knocked it out of the ballpark with an interview with Joshua Williamson. They, you know, they, they just had great reports. So definitely excited to post that 
up on this podcast feed and also on our YouTube channel. We're going to try to get that out as soon as possible. So, yeah, stay tuned for that. All right, nice, nice. And uh, Seth, what about you? Yeah, for me, simply type in my name, Seth Singleton, and the word storyteller and follow wherever the cursor takes you. But I also want to point out that I love doing this so much for DC Comics News that you can also catch the podcast, The Spinner Rack, which I get to host once a week. And essentially, like that great big metal rack that I used to stand before in pharmacies, drugstores, and newsstands and spin all the comics in front of me, I pull out five comics and I rate and review them. And uh, those are the two places where you should be looking for me because everything else I'm keeping a secret for right now. Steve, your turn. Man of mystery. I um, yes, I've been inflicting chaos and carnage all over the internet for a long time. So just Google search Steve J. Ray. But of course, I write, uh, interview and review for both DC Comics News and our sister site, Dark Knight News, where I'm editor in chief. So catch me on those two places and on the Twitter at L Stevo, which is at E-L underscore S-T-E-E. V-O. All right. Very nice. Um, and I'm Kelly Gaines. You can find me on Twitter at KelGainesWrite. Um, and also check out any of my op-ed pieces on DC Comic News. Um, so DC Comics News is now on all major podcast platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play. Um, so please head over and subscribe to the podcast and rate and review. Um, and then you can also follow DC Comics News on social media through Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, and YouTube at DC Comics News. Um, and then, as always, read more comics. 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 <laughs> comics. Wow, that was. <laughs> read more comics, Brad. Comics, 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 comics. <laughs>